Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hour to the game, the game after work. Mitch Fortner, Troy Coverdale, and A.J. Shaw. We take it to 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock, we start pregame coverage of K-State Hoops. They host the Oklahoma Sooners in Bramlage. Got Mitch Palm here in just a moment. Final meeting between these two uh, in Bramlage for probably a long time before Oklahoma leaves for the SEC, expecting a packed house. I'm sure there's, especially with it being warm, uh, way warmer now. I'm sure yes. there's a pretty good line of students outside getting ready to enter the game here in just a little while and get their spot in the student section for tonight's matchup. Troy, I would imagine you're not going. Uh, that would be correct, yes. AJ, you going to the game tonight? Uh, no, I'm not. I know what he's doing tonight. He's got city council. Oh, I actually do yeah. not have city tonight. Oh, I moved on to school board so I could help ah, you guys out. Okay. Oh, how about that? Well. Moving things around for us. Uh, we Coming up here in, uh, at 525, we'll be joined by ESPN women's basketball writer uh, Michael Volpel, who has been covering K-State or a, uh, a women's college basketball on a national level for quite some time since the 80s. And we'll talk K-State hoops, Big 12 hoops, national hoops with them here in uh in just a few moments. Phone number is 785-537-1350. After that interview with Michael, I'm going to bounce a little bit early so I can get to Bramlage and uh, get set for tonight's game. I'm very much looking forward to it with this being one of the last times, uh, maybe the last time for a long time, Oklahoma will play in Bramlage Coliseum. Been running through these scenarios of uh, <laughs> all I can think of this whole time during the break was uh, Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift wedding shenanigans. Oh, geez. At some point, Jason Kelsey is going to pop his top, as in take off his shirt, scream at the top of his lungs, and then fall asleep at the bar, as is tradition. Right. And his wife will have to lug him home somehow. And yeah. I saw uh, or, uh, Jason Kelsey, who I, I actually find to be more entertaining than Travis. Mm-hmm. I just, I think I relate more to, to Jason. Okay. Um, I don't know if it's because like Travis is a little too broy. I don't. Does that make sense? He's he's he seems like more like more frat guy type of thing. I think more than anything that Jason is maybe a little more outgoing. That I, Travis outgoing, can, can be a bit guarded. Outgoing. Well, you, you think Travis is 
is a big guard. I, I see him as just as outgoing as his brother. Yeah, I, when you get the liquor involved. I and I've listened to their podcast once or twice. I understand it's very popular. I'm not the biggest fan of it. It's all right. I don't like how heavily edited it is. Sure. It's very edited, like crazy edited, and it throws off the authenticity, but it's all right. Um, God, what do they serve? Skyline chili? Yes. Oh, God. Have to. Taylor would not let that happen. No, 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 no. <laughs> can, we're talking about can this. You, can you imagine trying to take Taylor Swift to Skyline Chili? FanDuel Canada offering a <laughs> bet on if those two will get engaged during the Super Bowl. Oh, at the Super Bowl. Not man. during, obviously. We should have a FanDuel bet on if Travis will ever take her to Skyline Chili. She's probably like, I don't want to go to Cincinnati. Oh, she's been to Cincinnati already. Unless she's getting, I, you know, come on. huge money. Apparently, she's got a crazy schedule between now and uh, and the Super Bowl. But she's going to be there. The the math, folks were doing the math already during the season. It's crazy. I can't stand those people that don't like her being there or like being shown on TV. Like, it's her choice to to for the cameras to be on her or a camera to be on her the whole game. She mean mugged. The last time that she appeared on the camera before post game, I don't know if you noticed this. Well, it wasn't Back in, even, in the first half. It wasn't even nearly as much as it was at like that first game. Oh when yeah, when she showed up to the first game, that was major news. I mean, oh my god, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey are dating. That's pretty big. I mean, yeah. especially locally here. Some know. someone had the quick stopwatch on it, and it was forty four seconds was how much she appeared on TV the other day. And that's nothing. And who did they play the first game she went to? Was it the Bears game? Yes. Oh, okay. And I had to see it all game long, and I wanted to tear my eyeballs out. Oh, man, the worst day ever for AJ. I mean, come on, still better than any run by Fields. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's it's whatever. I mean, would you rather... Would you rather see Taylor Swift, or would you rather see uh, Rob Lowe with his generic NFL cap sitting in the stands? It's, it's, It's nuts how much money it's been projected that she oh. has generated for the NFL just by showing up and supporting Travis. Like, over $300 million. Yeah. Yeah. So the NFL's all about sure her showing up to the game. All right, let's move on. We got K-State Hoops tonight against Oklahoma. Prediction time. Hit it, AJ. <laughs> Here's Mitch Palm with tonight's prediction. Man, last handful of games, Mitch Palm has picked the right winner, but the scores have been a little off. Let's see if Mitch Palm gets on the right track today. Catchers 14 and 6, 4 and 3 in the Big 12. Oklahoma ranked 23rd in the nation, 15 and 5. They are 3 and 4 in the conference. Both teams coming off two game losing streaks. K State all on the road, Oklahoma all at home. Um, this will be the only regular season meeting between the two. This is a quad two game for K-State, quad one for Oklahoma. Now, the Sooners do lead the all-time series 113-104. to It's K-State's fifth longest rivalry um, in program history, which dates back to 1927. Cats snapped a three-game losing streak to Oklahoma last year at home back on March 1st. The teams have split the last five meetings. Oklahoma under 30-year head coach Porter Mosier 
has his team off to a start I wasn't expecting, especially. I mean, it was a complete almost remodel from last year's team. Just three returners. Um, Okay, so there's actually a number of things I like because of Oklahoma's matchup with K-State that I like K-State in. Uh, But let's start with a couple of things. Uh, Well, you can imagine kind of where I'm going to start here. K-State, by the way, 11-1 at home. They lost to Oklahoma or to uh, Nebraska. Meanwhile, Oklahoma one and two on the road. True road games. Cats are worst power six team in the nation in turnovers. Fifteen a game, but had at least seventeen turnovers over the last five. Now, spin that into something I like about today's game. Oklahoma in Big Twelve play is the worst team in the conference in forcing turnovers. Okay, nine a game. Mm-hmm. Now, Oklahoma did beat KU earlier this year. Oklahoma, can you guess how many turnovers they forced KU into in that game? 17. Two. Oh. They forced two turnovers and still beat KU. So, forcing turnovers for Oklahoma can at times be not maybe necessarily the most necessary thing to be mm-hmm. taking place. Mm-hmm. Um now, Oklahoma, defensively, they're kind of middle of the pack in a lot of stats, scoring, shooting defense. We're still talking the Big 12. I mean, middle of the pack is still pretty good, but K-State is better in all those numbers. Now, teams are shooting 45% against Oklahoma. That is, K-State's 7% bad, better in that stat in Big 12 play. Now, I think what Oklahoma is doing pretty solidly in Big 12 play Rebounding defensively, 25 a game, and we know that recently in Big 12 play, rebounding has been an issue for K-State. Offensively, uh, Ken Palm is a big fan of Oklahoma offensively, but right now they're eighth in the Big 12 in offensive efficiency, sixth in the league, turnover rate. Um, Sooners are shooting about 51% from two. That's okay. That's not bad. Um, 33% from three. Again, Middle of the pack in the league, and that's an area where K-State's been getting better in Big 12 play, and that's shooting the three. What they haven't been really solid at is offensive rebounding, 11th in offensive rebound rate. I like that for K-State. Oklahoma from three has not been too solid lately. Now, in their last game, they were good. 11 of 26 from three. They still lost to Tech, but in the previous five before Tech, just 28.5% from three-point range. Really, as a team, what I'm getting at here, just as a team for Oklahoma, there have been some pretty big ups and downs. They're, they're lacking. They can be good on both ends. It's lacking consistency in conference play. Now, for the players, just three returners. Sienna transfer. Javian uh, McCollum, I'm, I'm a fan of. He's averaging 14 points a game, four assists. He's a good passer. Um, puts up a lot of shots. He's shooting 36% from three-point range, and he takes six threes a game. Now, he's been struggling, though, in the last five games. He's only shooting 21% from three Oof. in the last five games. That's a major drop-off. Second-year wing, Otega Owe is also a really solid player. 14 points a game, four and a half rebounds, two steals. He's a good defender. He's 53% from three-point range, but only takes one and a half threes a game. Why is he not shooting it more is what I, is what I question about him. 
Um, and then there's another transfer from Georgia Tech in Jalen Moore, who's averaging about 10 points a game. Um, a solid rebounder. He's been doing better as of late. So he's been making up a little bit for the other two guys I was mentioning that have been struggling recently. Uh, he's averaging 11.7 rebounds a game um, in the last five. So he's been better. Now off the bench, there's a couple of key, key players as well. Rivaldo Sorez and uh, who, an Oregon transfer. Uh, he's an Oregon transfer off the bench. Uh, for the Sooners, uh, shooting 46% from three. He's averaging just about 10 points a game. I think a, a few pieces off Oklahoma's bench could be a problem tonight. That also includes Pitt transfer Ford, John Hugley, who's averaging seven points, two rebounds a game over his last five. All right, so some major keys to this game, turnovers. I'm going to be a broken record here. Yeah. Turnovers have to get better. They are a top-five team in the Big 12 in shooting the basketball, hitting three-pointers, but they're just 12th in scoring. they got to stop shooting themselves in the foot, give them more opportunities to score, and they're going to give them a much better shot at winning games. Do a better job getting to the free-throw line. Also, try to win on the boards. This is a better matchup. Even though Oklahoma's decent at rebounding, especially on the defensive end, this is a better matchup. And this is my biggest key of the game. And This is a better matchup for K-State. They are not as good defensively as Houston and as Iowa State. Plus, K-State's back at home. I think when you're trying to bounce back in conference play after two losses – you're back at home, and you're playing an up-and-down team like Oklahoma, I think this is the type of team you want to play. I think things are aligning where K-State is going to get back on the right track. Ken Palm actually picks Oklahoma to win tonight. 49% chance the Cats win. Final score, Oklahoma wins by one, 69-68. Mitch Palm says K-State has a 68% chance of winning in Bramlage Coliseum tonight. Final score, Cats get back into the 70s. 73-67. Cats win it tonight over the Oklahoma Sooners. We take a timeout. We'll be joined by ESPN writer for women's college basketball, Michael Volpel, is coming up next on the game. K-State women's basketball, 20-1 with a perfect 9-0 record, halfway done with Big 12 play. They are now the number two team in the nation in both the AP and coaches poll. They get set for a Oklahoma battle Tomorrow night, Lloyd Noble Center in Norman, which is a 6 o'clock tip-off. That means pregame coverage at 5.30 tomorrow here on K-Man. And the Cats will face the Oklahoma Sooners for the second time this season. Now pleased to be joined by ESPN women's college basketball writer Michael Volpo as he now joins us here on the game to talk women's college basketball and talk K-State hoops with Michael. Michael, really appreciate your time here on the show. Welcome to the game. Um, boy, as a fan, I mean, just as a fan, I can – I've really enjoyed watching women's college basketball this year. It's been very competitive, a ton of upsets. Top 10 is all over the place. Meanwhile, K-State is really good. They keep climbing the rankings. As an actual writer, how much has it been, how fun has it been covering women's basketball this season? It's been a really great season. I would say the only downer, which is the same, you know, every year with men's and women, sometimes it's the injury. You know, that happens and, um, you know, those can be, you know, tough for teams to to deal with. But you're 100 percent right. We've seen uh, a lot of upsets. It's it's interesting that 
South Carolina was undefeated all last season up until the Final Four, and then they basically, you know, remade their roster, and they're still undefeated this year. So they're the ones that have been kind of flying above the chaos so far. Um, but that that number two spot's been a little hard to hold on to, and now it's K State's turn to do that. And and it's sort of interesting then that it comes in a week when when they have a. You know, two pretty tough road games. Yeah, no kidding. At Oklahoma, at Texas this week, two teams they've already beaten, but that was with, of course, you know, Aoka Lee healthy, and now she's out roughly four weeks. So roughly, you know, it's what two and a half for three weeks left on that uh, injury clock to get back with the Cats. You know, I'd love to get your thoughts on the team, especially with kind of preseason hype going into the season. I mean, around here, I especially knew that this could be a pretty special team. As a guy nationally covering women's college basketball from unexpected to saw this coming, has this been a surprising run for K-State this season? Not really surprising. I do think it took a little while for people to know how Yoki, how she was going to integrate back into the team. And, and what I think you guys there at K-State knew was that was going to work out really well. And the game where I think anybody who was, you know, watching or wasn't sure was the the win at Iowa. Like then you knew, hey, this is a really good team. And I think what we've seen since then is just sort of a steady progression of, you know, climbing, climbing, climbing. And it's also, I think this is a really almost kind of a classic Jeff Mitty team. They play really good defense, hard defense. Um, there's a lot of different people that can score on this team. It's, it's a very much a sum of all parts team along with having, you know, a superstar in, in, you know, Ioka. Does K-State, is its defense, is it the best in the nation? There's numbers that point to that, but mm-hmm. watching so many teams play, you know, South Carolina, like you mentioned, is really good, but does K-State have the best defense? It's right up there. It really is. Um, you know, when Ioka is out, obviously you worry about some things. And in the BYU game, you know, with Lauren Gustin, that was that was tough. She's a really hard player to guard, and if you if you don't have Ioka in there, that you know she can kind of go to town on teams. Um, but then what you saw was everybody else sort of fill in around her. And I think the other thing I like about um, K State's defense is that they're very energetic and they're very smart. You know, this isn't a defense that necessarily takes a lot of chances and, and gets burned. Um, and sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. This is a defense, I think, that um, its risk-reward is is really high. And and I think that's, you know, that's just, just best teams have been like that. So many key things about the success of K-State this season. Role players off the bench from Terrence Sides mm-hmm. early, and then recently we saw Gisela Sanchez have a big game against BYU. They couldn't have won without her but also the four returners in the Glenn Twins and, and Gabby Gregory. But specifically, the season of Serena Sundell, looking nationally at point guards, how underrated is she? It's so interesting you ask that, because I think all the time I'm like, man, we should be hearing Serena Sundell's name more. You know, I, I, I even think that of myself. And, you know, this past week when I was doing the power rankings, I was just like, you know, telling other people, like, we should be talking more about this kid she's such a baller and there's, you know, watching her, how smart of a player she is, but just how scrappy and intense a player she is. And she does so many things. Well, Um, you know, one thing I think that's nice is that, you know, she, she, she she keeps her composure, right? She's, she's a, she's a kid who just kind of gets the job done, but we'll have a chance hopefully nationally this week, more people are going to be tuning in and they'll have a chance to see her. 
um, you know, against two really good teams. And they should already know what her name is, and they should know about her. But if they don't, uh, hopefully they'll know about her more this week. Yeah, and this is such a huge week for K-State because, I mean, the, the Oklahoma game, which K-State, yes, beat them already, but, you know, Oklahoma's just a game and a half back, so they're looking to get the tie in the in the tiebreaker after K-State got game number one. But also, I mean, K-State pulled off some big wins on the road without Yoki against, against Baylor, Texas, right before Yoki goes down with that injury. She actually won National Player of the Week with the broken ankle. But how good – do you think is the Big 12 this year? Where do they fall in the pecking order of best conferences in women's college basketball? They are good. Um, and, and they're good, especially in terms of probably the top is good. The the middle is good, like, like a lot of conferences. And when you get to the lower part, they struggle more. And it's interesting because the teams that came in on the men's side of the Big 12 are more established programs you know have have more of a history of what they've done particularly like with Houston and and Cincinnati who are teams that don't have a great history on the women's side so it's made the men's big 12 i think a lot of people that's the best conference in the country with the women right now um the Pac 12 the ACC and the Big 12 to me are a little higher um in terms of of you know the the competitiveness throughout the league. Um, and, and then when you look at a team, you mentioned like Oklahoma, uh, K-State played really well against Oklahoma at K-State. But what we've seen in that series in the last few years is that game is a lot tougher for K-State at Oklahoma. And so that's what I'm going to be interested to see this time because um, they, they've split the last few years, those games. And it'll be interesting to see how that turns out this time. But uh, it is, it is a tough conference. Uh, and I think it's a, it's a, we know it's also a transition year. It's going to be very different next year. Um, but it'd be nice to see the conference do well in the tournament this year because last year was a down year in terms of tournament results. You know, let's look at the tournament. Let's look at NCAA tournament because K-State mm-hmm. has played three games without Ioka Lee. will most likely play four-ish, maybe five more games without her. We'll see how that turns out. You know, when she's healthy, this team is obviously extremely good. You know, last year without Yoki, K-State really struggled. They It, it was a grind all year long. Even though they were in some games, they couldn't win on the road. It, it was really tough. Now they're winning without her. When Aoka Lee comes back, and let's say she stays healthy, K-State is intact, and now they're making a run to the NCAA tournament, where do you feel like the ceiling is for K-State this year? They can, I mean, especially if they – you know, they, they win the Big 12, which I think it is a winnable for them. Uh, you know, then they're probably looking, you know, at, you know, potential. I don't know if they'll get into that one seed line, but they, they might be battling for a two seed, um, at least probably a three seed, you know, if this season continues to go well. And as you know, I mean, that's a big deal. It's, you know, having, having you know, your, your first two games at home is big. And it's interesting you mentioned sort of that they struggled last year, you know, to win without her. And yet they looked good in certain games. Like you could see the pieces there. You could see they were coming together. I even thought, you know, like by the time they got to the Big 12 tournament, I thought, man, I wish this team had another, you know, week or so to to, to play um, the way that they're playing or a few more games to play at the, even at the Big 12 tournament. But that's the difference is that they've learned to be able to win without her. Now, obviously, they want her, but they they have been able to do it. And the two games they won without her, um, you know, were important games. 
Speaking with Michael Vopel, covers uh, women's college basketball, WNBA, also writes volleyball for ESPN.com. All right, uh, Michael, I do want to cup, uh, just touch on some national things. You, you, It's been brought up already a couple of times at South Carolina. They're the number one team in the country, receiving every first place vote in the AP. Are they a step ahead of everybody else? Are they that talented? They showed some vulnerability um, last week at LSU. They trailed a lot of that game. LSU played really well against them. But the big thing with them is they, even though they lost, obviously, Leah Boston, the number one pick, uh, basically their starting five moved on. They've got another really great post player in Camila Cardoso. And they have their much better three point shooting team this year. So the, I think they kept the, a lot of the defense intensity and the, the ability that that's just been a South Carolina trademark for a while now. Um, when it's in crunch time, will that three point shooting come through? That's, that's, that's the thing because that's what hurt them last year against Iowa. Um, Iowa didn't have to guard the three point line and that made them a lot more guardable. So Yes, if they're hitting three-pointers and, and they're moving the ball the way they, they can, they have a really good bench. Yeah, I think they're they're a step ahead. Um, but they're not – I wouldn't say it's like, hey, this is just – hey, there's no way anybody's going to stop them. I, I do think people can play with them, but they're – right now, I think they would be the favorite to win the national championship. Would you say Caitlin Clark is the uh, the best to ever do it? She is very much in that conversation. And and a, and a lot of people, I've heard people, that, oh, you know, recency bias or whatever. Well, I don't think I have recency bias because I've covered the game a long time. And what really stands out about her is the ability to create space the way she does as a shooter, which is insane. And then the ability to use that space because she's one of the best passers. Those two things together, you don't see that often, even among great guards. Um, Rebecca Lobo has said she thinks she's the best offensive player we've seen on the college game since Tarazi, who is another player who could really stretch the floor and pass. And I don't disagree with that. She's a fabulous player, and she's incredibly fun to watch. Um, and she's come along at a great time. You know, she's coming at a time when kids can have commercials on television, right? She can be in a, a state farm commercial. So her game is fun to watch. She's a point guard, so the ball's in her hands all the time. So it's hard, you know, you you, you have your eyes on her the whole time. And she's a, a kid who really embraces the moment. So all those things to me, uh, I, I absolutely think she's one of the best we've ever seen. You mentioned you've been covering the game a long time, and I, I've been saying for weeks now, this K-State women's basketball team, I mean, where they're at right now, they're, they're the number two team in the nation. They've only been number two for one week ever prior to this week, and that was back in the 0203 year. Do you remember those early 2000s K-State women's basketball teams, Deb Patterson with Nicole Oldie and Kendra Wecker? Very much. I spent a lot of time in Manhattan, um, and they were they were such fun teams to watch because those were great offensive teams. Mm-hmm. You know, Lori Kane is still one of the best three point shooters women's basketball has ever had. Kendra Wecker is one of the greatest athletes I've ever seen in women's college sports. And Nicole Oldie, you know, obviously went on, um, you know, of, of that group had the best um, WNBA career and won a WNBA championship with Phoenix. And then Megan Mahoney, she was just a she was a gritty player. She she just knew how to get it 
get things done. They were a really fun team to watch. They, they, if that, that K-State bunch, I always said this, if they got a lead, they weren't going to lose it. They were great front runners and because they were so good offensively, they, they sometimes struggled getting defensive stops when they needed to. And that's kind of a difference. You know, if you, it's, it's 20 years difference, but if you look at this K-State squad now and what they're built on, this is a team that can win games defensively. That really wasn't the strength of those um, K-State teams in the early 2000s. But they were incredibly fun to watch. And really, I, I tweeted this the other day, it, it kind of just makes me, makes me smile because like, people were so into that group. and They were so loved in Manhattan. And it's kind of neat to see 20 years later, I think, people, you know, I see the goats, the stuffed goats in the, in the yeah. stands and stuff at, at K-State. And uh, I've always believed with K-State, K-Staters care about anybody from K-State who's doing well, right? You know, it's not a school where, oh, it's this sport we don't care about. Like, they care. And um, they've got a product now and a bunch of kids there um, that I think they really care about, and it's cool to see. Well, Michael, to wrap up, and I'm glad you shared those those memories with me. I was a kid from Clay Center, Kansas, at was 10, 11, 12 years old when Nicole was playing, and I, I remember it so fondly of those memories. I was a K-State women's basketball fan before I was a men's basketball fan and the place used to be packed and now it's back in Manhattan and it's so fun to watch just as a member of the media, but also as a fan, it's so much fun. I just want to get your, your thoughts on where women's basketball has grown over the last decade. I I remember asking Jeff Mitty about it at the end of last season and about, you know, if he enjoys the star power that women's basketball now has and how it's grown, how much have you seen it grow over the last, let's say, 10 years? A lot from, and part of it is just the exposure, you know, getting on television, people having a chance to see the game. Um, you know, obviously in Jeff's early years, you just, there wasn't nearly the television coverage. Um, you know, now, obviously, you can see almost everything. You know, even between streaming and and you know network broadcasts and things, you you see everything. So that's really big. And then I think the the fact that the WNBA exists is important because it's allowed the best players to have full careers, and you you get to see them, you know, grow up into professional players. And I mentioned Nicole Oldie, you being from Clay Center, um, you know this. Like Nicole's just a small town kid, but she was. Literally, she was an elite center. She was so good. A small-town kid from Kansas. And because she was able to go on and play professionally and play globally, um, we got to see that whole progression, if you will, of her. Same way with Caitlin Clark. Like, if this was 25, 30 years ago, you know, 30 years ago before the WNBA, you'd be like, God, we're not going to see her again, right? You know, like, maybe we'll see her in the Olympics. And that's it. Well, now you know when you see these these kids and you get to enjoy watching them grow up in college, you're still going to see the best of them play professionally. So I think that's part of it. And then, you know, um, the game's good. The game's fun, um, especially with, you know, teams that play really good um, good styles of play. So I think we're seeing all that. It's made popular. Well, Michael, I've really enjoyed this. Uh, I'm glad that women's college basketball is back here in Manhattan, and I'm glad we've had a moment to speak about the success of K-State basketball so far. Hopefully we get to do it again down the road. Thank you for your time, and hopefully we'll talk again soon. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
That's Michael Volpel from ESPN, their basketball writer, women's basketball writer, and, of course, Mitch Fortner, who is off and headed to Bramlage to get set for tonight's matchup between the Cats and Oklahoma. The game continues in a moment with a little bit of hot water again for one of the repeat violators in college athletics. Details upcoming. I had to laugh a little bit earlier today when I saw on the artist formerly known as Twitter what kind of day it was in the SEC as it pertained to athletic departments, specifically football. I mean, as if Auburn isn't trash enough for having Hugh Freeze as their head coach. Now they're hiring DJ Durkin, (laughs) the former Maryland coach who effectively killed a kid. Yes. For crying out loud. But that was just the tag-along. How about this? This, It was just the tag-along to this story. (sighs) I tell you that story to tell you this. (laughs) Tennessee finds itself once again in a bit of hot water with the NCAA. Of course they are. I mean, you'd think it was Michigan all over again. And um, In this case, again, let's remember here, they are fresh off of an NCAA ruling last summer in which 18 level one violations had been uncovered and they were fined $8 million. They also took care of culpability in a number of different ways, including getting rid of their head football coach at the time and different things related to that, Jeremy Pruitt. Well, now you have the NCAA sniffing around again. And, oh, for good measure, it has to do with their highly thought of quarterback who played in the bowl game against Iowa. Of course. The NIL group, the collective known as the Spire Sports Group, finds itself in hot water with the NCAA on this deal. First reported by Sports Illustrated, the investigation puts them in the crosshairs for potential sanctions as repeat violators. Do you imagine that? Southwest Conference, white courtesy phone. Southwest Conference, white courtesy. Oh, anyway. Um, Tennessee is declining comment, at least to reporters. However, Tennessee Chancellor Donde Plowman told NCAA President Charlie Baker that the allegations are factually untrue and procedurally flawed. So here's the argument point, and it would be level ones and level two violations that are potentially involved here apparently it has to do with flights okay as in individual flights for said player getting onto campus in other words utilized as a recruiting tool yep that'll do it you cannot continue down this type of road without getting yourself in hot water well they got fined a record eight million last year Uh uh-huh so you wonder what the fine is going to be now so it centers around quarterback nico iamala viva iamala 
Iamalaeva. Boy, I got to work on that one. Iamalaeva? Yeah, that's it. Again, it's late in the day for me. I know. I got you. I'm surprised I got that right because I'm I'm the king of butchering town names and all that other stuff. So, apparently, the deal is is that the uh, imagine this uh, report surfaced surfaced of an nil deal worth eight million dollars, same as their penalty price. His involvement with such a deal was never confirmed, nor have any details emerged about any NIL deal signed before or after his enrollment. Tennessee, in April 2022, joined a growing list of states that passed resolutions allowing universities to have direct and public relationships with NILs. Therein is part of the rub. You have to be very cautious about how direct. Among other things, the amendment allowed NIL collectives to talk directly with university representatives, such as coaches, current student-athletes, and recruits. The NCAA reminded schools in May of 2022 that, that using NIL as a recruiting tool was a strict violation of its policy, however. So the issue comes down to whether any of the NIL deals violated pay-for-play. That simple. Yep. And yet it's that difficult. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I yeah. mean, keep in mind, you still have the NCAA also looking into Florida's recruitment of yes. quarterback signee Jaden Rashada, mm-hmm. which was an utter and total disaster. Mm-hmm. And the NCAA has already dinged Florida State for NIL-related violations. Plowman, in her letter to Baker, it is intellectually dishonest for the NCAA enforcement staff to pursue infractions cases as if students have no NIL rights and if institutions (laughs) have all been functioning post-Alston with a clear and unchanging set of rules and willfully violating them. What this comes down to essentially is a pox on both of their houses. Yes. Because in Tennessee's case, it's, well, we're going to do what we want much like the rest of the wild, wild west at this point. And in the NCAA's case, it's, uh, maybe we got to look into this because we still want to, oh, wait, we can't do that because of what the court ruled. I mean, in all honesty, the, the whole thing is a total and complete mess. It's farcical. Of course, I it agree. It is farcical. Mm-hmm. But the fact that Tennessee finds itself literally right in the sights of the NCAA again, not even a year after being dinged $8 million. It reminds me of the criminal that goes, I'll never do it again. And then five sec- uh, five days, five weeks, whatever later, he does it again. Oh, I won't do it again. Get caught again. Unbelievable. Uh, they avoided the postseason ban, paid $8 million, but also had scholarship and other reductions to recruiting efforts while vacating wins from 2019-2020. Yeah, there'll be another postseason. There'll be a postseason ban this time. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I welcome back to the Southwest Conference. Yep, I, I I agree with that. Yeah, totally. About the only only difference is that there are no TV bans. Yes, because well, yeah, 
there's no way to pull that off anymore. Nope, can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so Tennessee finds itself in trouble. Here we go again. And everybody is waiting to see what the heck is going to happen with NIL because we've got ourselves another mess. All right, we'll wrap this edition of the show when we come back. It's the game. The Cats and the Sooners getting set to. Pokes are again on Saturday. That's right. <laughs> oh, I swear, sometimes my brain just melts. All right, so that said, game time coming up at uh, just after 7 tonight. And of course, the coverage gets underway top of the hour here on News Radio KMAN. What you got for me? What you going to ask me today? Craziest weather game that I ever called for football. At that level, it would be one of the two trips into Montana where you knew that you could wind up seeing a little bit of everything dependent on the season one time. And in Missoula, we did see a little bit of everything, um, save for severe weather out of it. We saw snow, we saw sleet, we saw rain, we actually saw the sun during part of the game as well. Uh, was a rather picturesque view before they muddied up the far side across from the press con- uh, press box with a new suites area that blocks you from being able to look out over one of the highways as it wrapped its way through the foothills. It was a pretty view. And, yeah, they destroyed that. Um, the other one would be snow in, in Bozeman when it was 15 degrees. <laughs> Those were the simple ones. I actually have had worse weather for high school games than I have had for college games. Uh, yeah. Yeah, my color guy was literally, I had had color guy look, looking over my shoulder the entire game. Uh, yeah, that one uh, was down at Payola years ago with a high school team that was running a wing tee, Hiawatha at the time, um, and wearing white that night in the snow. And the next week at uh, state championship time, it was 60 some odd degrees. Um yeah, well, I've also done a state championship uh, in Colorado at the 3A level in which it was that similar type of snow, uh, much like the snow game that we had that closed out this year's uh, season. Um, so, yeah, the high school level has been where I've had the, the weirdest weather games take place. The oddest occurrence, though, will still be the Thursday night that we were in uh, in Ogden, Utah, for a football game televised, no less, by ESPNU. And partway through the second overtime, the lights went out. And it took 45 minutes to get them back on. Well, they had them on a timer, and they were getting set to do fireworks after the game. It took 45 minutes. Delayed 45 minutes, and then to lose on an interception at the end of it in the fourth overtime was just uh, unreal. Bad, bad bus ride home. 
that's a long eight hours at that point. Oh my goodness! So, yeah, that uh, that that one will remain an all timer. So, <laughs> and that's before we even get into talking about flights or any of those types of things. Ah, uh, but yes, uh, weather games. I've had a few. So yeah, just more so at the high school level than I have ever had at the uh, at the college level. No. Yeah. Sure. Oh, brutal. Yeah, that absolutely. Every time, amazing how that happens. Amazing how that happens. Cats, Sooners, tip off in just over an hour. Coverage beginning next. Have a great one. We'll see you tomorrow. Morning too busy to catch the news? Head to our website anytime. News Radio KFI.